a free download from Delancey Elim Church. Meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elim Church building at Le Banks St. Samson in the Channel Islands of Guernsey. Contact us to find out more information about us. Please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk. Okay, let us come around the Word of God. Um, I don't have an actual passage that um, I'm going to be speaking from. I'm going to be jumping throughout the Bible, I'm afraid. Okay, so you're going to have to have your wits about you. Um, And I want to speak on the topic of unanswered prayer. You know, I've, I've shared a little bit about why we pray and I've shared a little bit about sort of what and how to pray and some of those things and given some ideas. And today I just want to look at perhaps a difficult thing which is unanswered prayer and uh, it is a topic that you know is a little bit tricky a little bit difficult and I really don't think I have the answers (laughs) sorry (laughs) I don't think you're going to go away today going oh yes I know now exactly why because God is mysterious and we don't know everything but maybe a few of my thoughts might help us along the way I don't know about you but Um, I find it really, really frustrating when I'm trying to get hold of somebody on the phone and you can't get hold of them and you really want to speak to them, don't you? You've got something to tell them or you've got a question to ask them or it's something perhaps urgent and and you just want to speak to that person and you can't get through. And it could be for many reasons. I hope it's not the reason that they've just seen my name on the screen and gone, no thanks. (laughs) Because that's what happens these days. We can tell, can't we, who's phoning us. Um, I hope it's not that. But it could be for any reason. They could be busy, they could have their, if it's my mother, her phone is on silent, you know, or it's in the bottom of the handbag. Um, You know, they might be in a meeting. It could be for a number of reasons, but you can't get hold of the person and it's really, really frustrating. I find it quite daunting, actually, the phone. Is anyone else with me on that? I find it quite a frightening machine. Um, Because when you ring, you're left then with with an option of whether to leave a message after the beep, okay, so you can leave a message, or you can hang up before the beep and then ring back. And you've got to make that split decision. What do I do? Do I leave a message or not? If you leave a message, you've then got to really think quickly about being clear and coherent, the irony there, (laughs) of um, leaving a message that makes sense, yeah? And then I always get tongue-tied and don't know what to leave, and then I'm talking around the houses, and I've sort of done a whole essay before, you know, I put the phone down. And then, of course, once you've done that, the ball's in their court, isn't it? You can't keep ringing once you've left a message. You've just got to sort of wait until they get back to you. And I don't really like waiting, so I tend not to leave a message so that I can then keep ringing (laughs) and just be pestering and persistent in that. So you'll ring back. But then there's that question in your mind, how long do you leave it before you ring back? Five minutes? Is that going to seem like you're being a bit pushy, a bit pestery? If they, you know, they can't get to the phone, they've seen and uh, so there's all that going on. And then, of course, once you've rung the phone ten times and you still can't get through, your anxiety reaches a whole other level, doesn't it? Because then you're worried: Are they okay? Should I be worried? Should I ring nine nine nine? You know what's going on? Uh, you know, this is this person in need of help. I can't get hold of them don't know. Perhaps it's just me that has this navigational nightmare when using the phone. But um, the reason is because you've 
really want to get hold of them, don't you? You've either really got something important to say or you've got a really important question and you need an answer. And then you don't know what's going on the other end. What's happening? Is the person okay? If they answer the phone and they say, hang on, look, I haven't got time to talk right now, but I'll phone you back. That's okay, you can rest assured. They're going to get back to me. It's okay, it's all right. I know what's going on. I guess at times, I feel a little bit like that with God. And I'm trying to pray and I'm trying to call on God and there seems to be no answer. And then it leaves me with questions and it leaves me with thoughts. Do I leave it with him? The ball's in his court and just go, okay, well, I've prayed that now. That's done. I'll leave it there and and move on. Do I persist? Do I keep asking for the same thing? Do I keep presenting that prayer, like the Bible tells us, to persevere? What's going on? What's going on in the mind of God? What's going on in the heavenlies as I'm asking for this particular thing or this situation or I'm praying for this person? Is God too busy? Is he engaged with other priorities? What's going on? I don't know if you ever feel like that. But we're in good company. Because when you look at the scriptures, you see that a lot of people felt like that. If you look at Job, okay, when Job was going through all that suffering, he says, I cry to you for help. You don't answer me. I stand and you only look at me. I sometimes know what Job was feeling when he said that. God, what are you doing? Or the psalmist, David in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. I get that feeling at times, like David felt. Jesus felt that. He echoed that exact scripture from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we believe in prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in miracles. We believe that God can answer. So if we believe all that, then I suppose we have to address the unanswered prayer. Because if I didn't believe in all that, then it wouldn't matter, would it? But I do. I do believe that God hears us. So I'm going to try and look at a few things today, this morning, and I realise that time is going, about why that might be the case. And first and foremost, and I don't want to major on this, but the Bible does talk about the fact that there's something in us that can sometimes hinder prayer. So first of all, I think, before anything, I need to look at myself. We need to look at ourselves and be honest and be a little bit soul-searching to see, is there anything in my life, is there anything that I'm doing to hinder my prayers? The Bible relays lots of different things. In Isaiah 59, it talks about the, uh, uh, the iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. In Psalm 66, it says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You know, some, there can be that idea that if we have a love of evil in our hearts or if pride gets in, perhaps that can be a barrier. Maybe it's our motives. James 4, 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What's our motive? Is our motive pure? Am I praying for my new BMW? Because it's just, it's really, it's really required for the ministry. Or is it just our own motives? Are our priorities right? Or has it become about us? Remember the Pharisee in Luke that's on the, on the side praying and saying, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that person. I'm glad I've got my life sorted and I'm doing this, this, this. You know, are our priorities right? 
What about the state of our heart? Is it hard towards the things of God and, and what God would want? In Zechariah, there's a, there's a passage and it talks about um, the people's hearts being hard. And they weren't reaching out in kindness. They weren't reaching out in mercy. They weren't being loving. They were forgetting the poor and the widow. And God says, as I called, they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord. Because they had turned their hearts against what God had called them to do. They weren't loving others. And there's a biblical mandate that's very, very clear for us as Christians to love others, to care for the poor, to care for the vulnerable, to look after people. It's not an option. Now, like I said, I don't want to major on this because I think, actually, a lot of the time when we come to a place of unanswered prayers, we've looked at ourselves, we've looked at and seen, and actually, more often than not, as Ange was saying today, we end up down a road of guilt and condemnation, which we shouldn't go down, we don't need to go down. But I do just need to make that point that the Bible is clear, that there are things, perhaps, that we can do that can have in our lives that can maybe get in the way. And once we've had that honest reflection... I guess then we come to that place of going, yeah, but God, I think things are okay, but why are my prayers still unanswered? And that's what I want us to have a look at. Go a little bit deeper today. I've got a few points. I think it could just be the way of the world. It could just be that actually the world is set up in a certain way that has natural laws and God has set it up that way and that is the way of the world and sometimes we don't always see the miracle we want to see. Because miracles, by definition, as C.S. Lewis said, have to be relatively rare, don't they, for it to be a miracle. Because if it happened all the time, it wouldn't be a miracle. So we have the natural laws that govern the world, and that's the way of life. For example, you know, if God intervened every time, um, you know, if it was a, a knife being stabbed or it was a hammer being put on someone's toe, whatever. If God intervened every time to stop that and make the knife soft and the hammer soft and not... I mean, we'd be in a bit of a chaotic world, yes? We have natural laws that just have to happen um, because otherwise, if we didn't have sharp knives and heavy hammers, we wouldn't be able to do what we want to do with those things. It's very important. So there is a sense, I guess, that we can say maybe it's just God's world. And the natural laws are set up as they are and sometimes we don't always see a miracle because actually by definition they have to be relatively rare to be that answer to prayer. That could be one thing. Another thing is that actually God's will does get resisted in this world. We are in a spiritual battle. Sometimes it's easy to forget that in the day-to-day living. But we are in a spiritual battle. The Bible is very clear about that. That we fight against the principalities of you know darkness and and that is the way the world is we are in a fallen world and evil and suffering is in our world and it was never God's intention and it's not what God wants God doesn't want us to be suffering he doesn't want evil in this world but we've ended up in a world like that and because there is this spiritual battle there are times when God's will doesn't get done yeah you just have to look at the news just have to look around us to see evil and suffering and that's not God's will That's not what God wants for the world. It's not what he created and it's not what he designed. But we are living in a fallen world and one day all that will be done and all that will be gone. But at the moment we are here and that is why it's so important for us to pray. 
so important for us to pray against the spiritual warfare that is going on and the darkness. Don't ever let anyone say to you that God wants suffering and evil. He doesn't want that. But we are in a world where it happens. And one day, we won't be. So it could be that God's will is just getting resisted and that's why it's important for us to pray. But let's go a bit further. I think perhaps sometimes when we're praying, we underestimate that actually God has equipped us sometimes to be the answer to the prayer for ourselves, for our prayers, or for other people's prayers. I love the film Bruce Almighty. Um, I'm not sure how many of you have watched the film Bruce Almighty. I think I've shared about it before. But Jim Carrey plays uh, a character called Bruce and Morgan Freeman plays the character God. And basically, God gives Bruce all of his powers. And so Bruce becomes God on earth and can do whatever he wants to do. Um, well, the thing is, is that Bruce's life falls apart and absolutely ends up in chaos because he answers yes to everybody's prayers. Okay? So everybody's praying for things like winning the lottery and all these things. He just says yes to them all and of course the world is then like turned upside down and it's just in a mess. And um, he ends up back in heaven, which is just this building. It's illustrated by this building. He ends up in heaven and we have Bruce talking to God about the fact that the world's in chaos and he doesn't know what to do about it. And I'm going to show you that little clip now, Maria, if that's okay, if you just play that. There we are. It's good. It's a wonderful thing. No matter how filthy something gets, you've always cleaned it right up. There were so many. I just gave them all what they wanted. Yeah. But since when does anyone have a clue about what they want? Parting your suit is not a miracle, Bruce. It's a magic trick. A single mom who's working two jobs and still finds time to take her kid to soccer practice, that's a miracle. A teenager who says no to drugs and yes to an education, that's a miracle. People want me to do everything for them. What they don't realize is they have the power. You want to see a miracle, son? Be the miracle. good little clip if you want to see a miracle be the miracle now I know that's oversimplifying things a lot but there are occasions perhaps when we're praying for something and actually we have in our capabilities as well the answer to be the miracle Um, on Wednesday when we were praying I shared the story of Moses when Moses goes up to the top of the hill and he's interceding for Joshua who is there in, in battle and Joshua's fighting against the enemy in battle and Moses is up at the top with Aaron and her and they have to hold his arms up and while his arms are held up and he's interceding they win the battle when he puts his arms down they lose the battle and I was talking about just the importance of intercession prayer and about being in that place where we really need to be behind the scenes praying for things and I was reminded I think it was Sue who said um, about the fact that yeah and it's not just that Moses is up there praying and interceding but Joshua is down fighting it needed both. It'd been no good Moses interceding and having no one there to fight. <laughs> but we needed the intercession as well. And it's this idea, isn't it, about prayer, yes, like Moses interceding, but also action 
and Joshua being down there and fighting. It's about both. It's about giving it to God and saying, God, can I be the answer? Can I do something? Is there something within my capabilities to be able to do something about the situation? Praying for the hungry when I've got bread and food in my cupboard and finances in the bank seems a little unjust. Praying for my friends to be saved and yet not being open about my faith with them seems a bit strange. You get the point. It's this idea, isn't it, of like, if we're going to pray, let's do as well. Because we are privileged to be partners with God. That's God's plan for the church, that we partner with him. So that could be one thing. Another thing I was just thinking about unanswered prayer is actually maybe there's something in the journey. I've been talking about prayer being so much more than just asking for things. Prayer is about something that changes us. Prayer is about doing something in us and our relationship with God. And whilst we go into the prayer place and we're persistent in praying for something or someone or whatever it is, while we do that, there may be something in that process that's really, really important for us. And we would miss it if God just answered our prayers like that. Maybe God wants to take us on a bit of a journey, which is difficult, I know, but take us through that to do something in us, to change something in us, to shape us and mould us and get us closer to him. When I went trekking in the Himalayas in India, we um, went on one of these World Heritage Site trains, railway thing. (laughs) That sounds really good, doesn't it? Anyway, it was good, but what we had to do is to get on the train, it was, um, we had to journey down to it And it was almost like we doubled back on where we wanted to go. So where we were heading, it would have been much more straightforward to just go a normal route. But we went on this train because it was, uh, you know, one of those things that you had to do because the sights that you saw along the way was just so breathtaking and beautiful and spectacular. It was all about the journey and not about the destination for us because we could have got to the destination a lot quicker, but we decided to take that 60-mile journey through Uh, the Himalayas area and to get to where we wanted to go and perhaps something in that illustration is a little bit like our prayer life sometimes perhaps it's not just about the destination it's not just about the answer but it's the journey of getting to that place that God is doing something in us and revealing something of himself to us through that time maybe we've also got to ask ourselves Are we praying the right thing? Is it the will of God? Sometimes when we read Mark 11, 24, um, maybe we read it wrong. It says this, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. But we need to clarify that whatever. Okay? Like I said before, if I'm praying for my BMW, um, it might not be the will of God for my life. So we have to clarify it. And the Amplified Version says this, um, whatever things you ask in prayer, in accordance with God's will, in accordance with God's will, that whatever. John 5, 1 John 5 says the same thing. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now you go, okay, right, brilliant. Okay, so we have to pray the will of God. But how do we know? How do we know what the will of God is? Okay, I can make a joke about you know, material stuff. But actually, when we're praying for stuff that's really good and for people and for situations and for healing and salvation and all those things, then we're perhaps left with a bit of a question mark. When we look at Jesus, and I read it this morning when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, even Jesus himself prayed something. 
that wasn't in the will of God to let this cup pass. But not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew what it was to pray something and want something, but it wasn't the will of the Father. Isaiah 55, you know it well, says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, what we do know, even though we might not have all the answers, and we might not know God's will, we do know that God is good, and we do know that we can trust God, and it's so, so important. That's why prayer is so important about getting to know God and his nature, because we need to really trust and know that God is good and he's working for our goods. Because in the times when we are praying for things and we're not seeing an answer, we're not seeing breakthrough, it's going to take a lot for us to trust and keep hold of the knowledge that God is good. You know, Matthew talks about, you know, whatever you ask for, believe and you'll receive it. And it talks about, you know, what father would give their son, you know, uh, a bad present or, what was it, a snake or... Somebody quote me something for me, yeah. <laughs> why, why would you, you know, a parent, a father gives good gifts to their children and the Father in heaven knows how to give good gifts to us. And good might not be precisely what we've asked for. But he does will good towards us. There's an interesting story in Genesis, um, chapter 17, I won't read it, but Abraham is before God and... Abraham has, has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, and Abraham is asking God to give Ishmael the blessing. He's saying, I, I, I want you to, to bless Ishmael. And, and God says, no, I'm not going to give that blessing to Ishmael. I'm going to give it to Isaac. And you see this example here of Abraham asking something and God saying, no, actually, Abraham, that's not what I want because I've got something better. I'm going to give that blessing to Isaac. But, Abraham, because you have asked, about Ishmael, your son, and it talks about in the scripture saying, because I have heard you, I will bless Ishmael, I will make him great, I will um, make him fruitful, because I've heard your prayer, Abraham, but actually, the main blessing I'm going I'm to give to Isaac, that's my plan. Because God knew, he had something better, it was his will. But what I love about that account is what John Piper says, that it gives us great confidence to know that no prayer is wasted. We never pray in vain. God never does nothing in answer to prayer. So Abraham goes before God with the idea of Ishmael, but God says, no, it's Isaac. But I have heard your prayer. So we know that God does hear us. No prayer is wasted. I have no idea why when I ask God for some things, I don't see an answer to that. I have no idea why I'll pray for someone's salvation, which is a good thing, and God would want. I have no idea why that doesn't happen. But that's where faith and trust comes in. That's where we need to know that God is good, and he loves us, and he wants the best for us. And we've got to trust him on that. And that's why my final point is so important because it's God's will fitting in with God's providence. And God's providence just basically means God's cooperation with everything that is happening in our world, his guiding of the universe, his protective care of our life. 
And whenever we think about God in the silence, my mind, and this is what Lisa was saying before, my mind jumps to that bit between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, 400 years, the New Testament. God is continually speaking to his people throughout the Old Testament. He's moving, he's doing stuff. There's the prophetic and then there's this silence for 400 years. And then Jesus. Wait, Jesus. I like that. I'm going to nick that. (laughs) Wait, Jesus. What's happened? Where is God in those 400 years? Why can't we hear him? Why can't we see him? Why can't we feel him? Has he left the building, so to speak? Has he abandoned his people? Why this silence? Why the 400 years? I've read this before, but I really love it. And especially when you think about the situation that it came from, because... It was found scratched on the wall at Auschwitz. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. And I believe in love, even though I don't feel it. I believe in God, even when he's silent. You know, we can't rely on our feelings, can we? We can't rely on our senses. We can't rely on how we perceive the situation because we could mistake, make a mistake and see it wrongly. And on the face of it, what you've got is this 400 years this time and on the face of it what it looks like is that God is silent and that God is not doing anything but actually what's happening in those 400 years is so important and so amazing I got so excited about this this week it's a great privilege to preach because it's a great privilege to be able to look in God's word and research things and I can't go into detail because it's getting near 12 o'clock and I could be another couple of hours but anyway Let me just say this, okay? At the end of the Old Testament era, you've got the Persians that are ruling, okay? Um, And then at the beginning of the New Testament, you've got the Romans who are ruling. So what has gone on in that time of 400 years? A lot has gone on, hasn't it? Battles have been fought and won and lost and all this stuff. And during that time, Greece had really come with their influence and power because Alexander the Great, basically, if those of us know our history, which I don't very much, but Alexander the Great came and just started conquering everything. And because he was conquering everything, that included the Persian kingdom and the Greek influence came in and it established control. And what is so amazing about that, for those of you who love this sort of thing, is that it was all prophesied in the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament. It's so amazing. So in Daniel, in the Old Testament, it talks about Greece taking over and it talks about the king of Alexander the Great and all of that. It all fits in. So basically this. Greece has influenced everything. It's influenced the Jewish way of life and the Greek idea, the culture, the philosophy, the science, the arts, the drama and all of that has come in and it's infiltrated Jewish way of life. So now you've got Hellenism, which is just the Greek culture, being put into, in place and you've got these Hellenistic Jews that are wanting to bring the Greek way of life into their Jewish way of life. And during this time, this 400 years, the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, is translated into Greek. Now, that's important. Now, why do I say all this? Well, it's amazing because just when we think God is nowhere in this 400 years, during that silence, what we realise is that behind the scenes, God's providence, behind the scenes of that 400 years, he is doing everything just to make the environment super right for Jesus to come preparing the way for Jesus. It looks like nothing's happening, but actually so much is happening so that Jesus can come and the gospel 
can be shared. The Greek influence, let me just quickly say this. The Greek influence, what happened was, it strengthened the Jewish faith because the Israelites wanted to preserve their faith. So it strengthened what they were doing. They had a resolve. And what happened is it gave rise to different groups of Jews. So you have the Pharisees. They get a lot of rap from Jesus, don't they, by the time in the New Testament. But actually, what they were trying to do was be righteous and holy and and preserve their faith. You've got the Sadducees. They were setting up um, the the Jewish courts and and the system. You've got the Sanhedrin, and they were the Jewish council. So all these things are taking place. And you don't just have the temple anymore. You've got lots of synagogues and lots of temples being made so that people can worship God. And so the faith is becoming stronger throughout that time. Not only that, but the, the translation of the Hebrew Old Testament is into the, into the Greek. And that was so fundamental because by the time Jesus comes, Greek is the common language. And so the New Testament scholars needed a Greek translation to be able to read and to quote from because although there was other language, there was still the local dialect and Aramaic and all of that, but Greek was becoming common. And the New Testament scholars needed the Greek translation. And that had happened. That had been done in the 400 years. And then with the control of the Romans taking over, we know how clever the Romans were. They were pretty clever. They came with their infrastructures and their roads and all their building. And what that did was it established um, the right setting for the gospel message to go out. Because the roads were made. There was transport. You think about St. Paul's journeys and all of that. So... Basically, by the time Jesus comes, the environment is just right for the gospel to be given and the gospel to spread. Now, if it had happened now, that would have been even great because you could just text it, couldn't you? Go out to the world. But God God saw not to do it now, which is great because we'd be in a mess. But Jesus came 400 years after the Old Testament. The point is this, whether you get all of that or go away and have a look at it. But the point is this, is that that 400 years, God was not silent and doing nothing. Okay, he might not have been speaking in the way he did through the Old Testament, but behind the scenes, he was getting everything right for Jesus. And God's providence is something we can trust in and be assured of. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even though I don't feel it. And I believe in God, even when he's silent. The psalm we looked at at the beginning of David in Psalm 22, when David is crying out, saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I crying out to you and there's no answer? Following on from that, it says this, Yet you are holy. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. I love that. God, why have you forsaken me? God, why aren't you answering me? God, why am I standing here and I can't see anything. Yet, I trust in you. Yet you are holy. And yet I will remind myself of all the things that you have done. And I think there's something in, us, in there for us that we can trust in God and maybe bring to mind all the things that he has done the blessings of the past, and the answers that we do see. Because, I tell you what, if you're like me, you can get consumed by the one thing that God isn't answering in your life. And forget all the other things that he's constantly answering day in, day out. The one thing I'm getting consumed by when actually God is answering so much 
of health, strength, jobs, homes, family, friends, provision, that he's our comforter, our sustainer, all these things. So many answers going on. And I can get so focused on the thing that's not being answered. Unanswered prayer, it's not always easy to understand. And it's definitely, definitely not easy to go through. And there are many reasons, perhaps, why prayers go unanswered. We've explored a few of those things today. But ultimately, like I said, God is a mystery. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But we can trust in God that behind the scenes of our life, he is working. And he is a good God. And he does want good things for us. I invite the worship group to come back. And let us think for a moment on what I've just been saying. It is a difficult topic. And I know in this room today, and I include myself in in this, that there are things deep within our hearts that are unanswered. And they're not just small things. They're big things. They're situations of pain and difficulty. They're situations of suffering. They're situations of salvation. You know, I've seen you and you've seen me and we've cried together in various meetings and things where, you know, our hearts really ache for the situations and the people. But I'm constantly reminded and brought back to the fact that God is good. And he loves me. And he loves you. And he wants the best for us. And maybe that best isn't always what we think is the best thing. And sometimes we might just be a moment away from the answer. It just might be around the corner for us. Maybe there's something that God wants to do in us and through us as we journey with him praying for this particular thing or person or situation I think God would say today that to many here, to all of us that he sees and he knows and he hears it may look like silence but God's word is true and God's word says that he will never leave us and he won't forsake us and he says that he is the one that we can trust. And today, maybe you just need to know that God is there. God is with you. And he does hear. And he does see. But his ways are higher. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. 
God, would you help us? Would you help us in our struggle? Help us in our difficulty. Help us when we feel like nothing's going on and there's silence. Help us to keep faith in you. We can't make sense of everything, Lord, but we trust you. We trust in the mystery. God, I pray that you'd show each and every one of us if there's things that we can do and things that we can be, guide us to be and do those things. Show us what you need to show us. Open our eyes to your truth. But God, in the silence and in the mystery, we will wait. We will wait because you've got the greatest gift after that 400 years the greatest gift is Jesus so we will wait